Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. Today, uh, I want to talk to you about hunger a little bit. I want to talk to you about how appetite determines our direction. And my title for today is I want to talk to you for the next 35 minutes on the idea of being power hungry. Say it with me, power hungry. I know it's a little bit of a scandalous title in the light of what's going on in the world. And some of you might be trying to write a blog from your mom's basement about the heresy of the title. But before you do that, come on, give me a second. I did it by design to get your attention. That's my job. Say it with me, power hungry. And I'm going to explain to you today the next few moments why I believe as Christians we should be hungry for God's power. So uh, if you're new today, Acts chapter 4, I'm going to read these 20 verses. I'm going to pray. I'm going to tell a couple stories. I try to give some candy to accommodate the medicine of God's word called humor. And so I'll tell a couple jokes. If uh, you laugh, that's great. If you don't, um, we'll keep praying for you. <laughs> Kidding. Uh, but we're going to have a good time this morning. And uh, I want to just, again, talk about in this hour that we're living in, I do believe that the church needs God now more than it's ever needed him. C.S. says that God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. And I believe that God is shouting to his people today if we will listen to him. So uh, Acts chapter 4, again, I'm going to read a few verses. If you want to follow along with me, this is really powerful. To give you a summary, can I give you a little summary real quick? Some of you, this is your very first time in church. Like, What is the book of Acts? Well, I would say it's one of the most important books of the Bible. Without the book of Acts, we have no idea what Christianity looks like after the resurrection of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? We have these four guys that followed Jesus for three and a half years. They saw the miracles of Jesus. They saw the dead rise. They saw wind and waves shut up. They saw, they saw food feed 15, 20,000 people from, a, come on, a number three at Long John Silver's. They saw, they saw a guy that was so eloquent that people forgot they were hungry for three days at a time. They went to the greatest seminary that has ever existed. They followed the most powerful human that has ever lived. And somehow, after all the miracles, after all the signs and wonders, they still found a way at the end of three and a half years to deny him. And then afterwards, he goes to the grave. He comes out of the grave three days later, as you know the story goes. He actually comes on the scene. He hangs out at the resurrection retreat center for 40 days. He shows himself to 500 people. And out of the 500, can you imagine this? Seeing Jesus come out of the grave. And he tells you one thing, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power. And out of the 500, only 120 make it. Does that boggle anybody else's mind? I would think if you and me saw someone come out of the grave, hang out for 40 days and be like, hey, I just need you to do one thing. Hang out in the church in Jerusalem until I fill you with power. You'd think there'd be 500 people there. But somehow 280 missed the memo. 120 land there. They have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. It changes them from cowards and doubters into people that were willing to die for their faith. Peter gets up, preaches one of the greatest messages in the Bible. And this is the guy, just remind you, uh, 40-something days earlier, was scared to say he was a Christian in front of a little girl. But somehow he gets up in front of 3,000 people and says, Hey, this is who Jesus is. Preaches with such power that 3,000 give their lives to Jesus. Church grows overnight from zero to 3,000. So 120 turns into 3,000. 
And then he's going to church uh, a couple days later with his buddy John, which is great to be friends with the guy that's all about love when you cut people's ears off. They're headed to a prayer meeting in Acts chapter 3. They see a guy that has paralysis, that can't walk. He's about 40-something years old. He's never walked. It says that from his mother's womb, he's never walked. But he saw these two guys going to a prayer meeting. He goes, hey, you guys got some money? He was expecting something. Which usually, any miracle in the Bible, you'll find one commonality. Someone somewhere was expecting. Some of you never experienced the miracles. You've never been around anybody that was expecting anything. Some of you never came to a church that was expecting God to move. Some of you never came to a church that was expecting God to speak. And the reason why this church is special is because every week we got some expectation. Come on, give him a hand clap if you believe it. Hey, you got any money? Peter and John go, hey, we, don't, we don't have an Escalade. We don't have, we don't look, we don't, we, we don't have 27s on it. We don't, but what we do have, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. He gets up, he walks, and here's the story, is this guy experiences, watch this, say it with me, miracle. Great miracle happens, 5,000 more people get saved, okay? And then this is, this is the, the, the pattern of the Bible. Whenever God shows up powerfully, there is always opposition. So the opposition is what we're going to read about. Chapter 4, they get arrested, and they get dragged to the Supreme Court, and it's called the Sanhedrin. So it says this, on the next day it came to pass, after all these events, that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as all of these, these guys, they were Sadducees, they were Pharisees, they were scribes, and they were elders. It lists their names. It says that they, they ask them, by what power, say it with me, power, by what name, because it's interesting that they saw the miracle, and they knew somehow the miracle was connected to the name of Jesus. What name did you, did you do this miracle? How was this done? Peter was filled with something. Come on, what was he filled with? It says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Which I want to remind you, we're not in Texas, so we say the Holy Spirit, not just Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? If I could correct someone a little bit. We say the president, not president. President's here today. Come on, the president's here today. And we don't say prophetic. Come on, it's not an A, it's an O. Come on, say prophetic. That was for all of our Texas friends today. Keep going. So it says this, being filled with the Holy Spirit, it says, this is what he says. He stands up. And I want you to remind you, just think about this for a second. There are 71 of the most powerful men in the entire nation, the wealthiest, the most educated, the most powerful people. This is the same Supreme Court with 71 leaders that sent Jesus to the cross. Okay? So Peter an uneducated fisherman, he stands up in front of them, filled with the Holy Spirit, and this is what he says. He says, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for the good deed of a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to everybody and to all people in Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who was crucified, whom you crucified, God raised from the dead, by him, this man stands here before everybody whole. This is the stone which was rejected by the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Now, there is no salvation, there's no salvation in any, this is where it gets bold, there is no salvation saving in any other name under heaven, given among men, by which we're supposed to be saved. Peter says Jesus is not a way, he is the way. 
Well, that's offensive. I know. Follow me. This is in the Bible. He says, now they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived, this is, this is, I love this passage, that they were uneducated, untrained, the original Greek says idiots. But they also could tell that they had been with Jesus. That's my life verse right there. And it says that they actually realized all of this and seeing the man who was born lame standing with them, they couldn't say anything against it. But they commanded them to go aside to the council and they conferred among themselves saying to one another, what shall we do? This is a notable miracle that's taken place and everyone in Jerusalem is talking about it and we can't deny it. Verse 17, so it will spread no further. Let us severely threaten them from now on to speak to no man in this name. People ask me all the time, when is it okay to disobey governing leaders? Here's, here's the answer. Whenever what they're asking you to do dishonors God. We honor men until they ask us to dishonor God. And I appreciate the American hand clap because we're scared to clap. What do they put us in jail? All of these people were jailbirds. Peter was a jailbird. Paul was a jailbird. I'm not scared to go to jail to tell the truth. Yeah, I feel a little courage in this church today. So it says this, that they, they, they said, you know, don't say anything. In Acts chapter 4, verse 20, which is the greatest 420 on the planet, it says that we cannot help but tell the things that we have seen and that we have heard. And Peter was like, nah, afterwards. There's a miracle working God. We've seen it with our own eyes. Arrest us. Kill us. I dare you. We know where we're going. And it says that they released them. And in verse 23, and they let him go. And when they went to their buddies, they reported to the chief priests and elders uh, all the threats and policies that were changing against the church. And here's the interesting thing, verse 24. So when the church heard it, they got depressed. They got discouraged. They, they huddled and cuddled. They got in the fetal position and sucked their thumbs. They said, woe is me. They stopped going to church and praying. Watch what it says. It says they raised their voices to God in one accord. They said, Lord, you are the God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. By the mouth of your holy servant said, David, watch what David said. He says, why do the nations rage against God? Why do the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth look at and they stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his Christ. Have you noticed that the earth is, has almost this overarching anti-Christ spirit? Yes. We're cool with any spirit as long as it's not Christ spirit. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel, almost done, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and purpose determined beforehand to be done. Now, watch what it says, Lord, look. Look on their threats. Grant your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word and by stretching out the hand of God, heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This is good all by itself. And when they pray, these early fathers, the reason why you and me are in the, in the room today is these people prayed and when they did, the place that they were assembled was shaken. The younger generation said it got shook. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. 
I want to talk to you today about being hungry for power. Come on, say something with me. Say power hungry. I would love it if you would share this message. I'm going to pray, and I believe God's going to show up in an awesome way right now. If you want to share this on Facebook, I believe many people will be benefited by what we share today in this church. Father, I thank you that you would meet us today in a, an awesome way. I thank you for your sweet presence that gives us the ability to do what we can't do by ourselves. I thank you that, Lord, all power comes from God. I thank you that you are the maker of heaven and earth and everything that dwells on the earth. I thank you that you sit high above white houses, above prime ministers, above kings and sultans, and that there is no another name under heaven by which we have the opportunity to encounter the God of the heavens. Jesus, we elevate you in this place, and we welcome your Holy Spirit to have preeminence today. God, we love you so much. Do what only you can do in Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on, everybody said, I was going to pray for one of my sports teams, but they all won. So we'll take a sabbatical from that. <laughs> Anybody, uh, I don't know, maybe your family wasn't like mine, but growing up, I had, uh, I had two older brothers. You ever notice that siblings just seem to fight without effort? Parents know what I'm talking about. I had two older brothers growing up, uh, Chuck and Lucifer. And uh, it's not his name. His name was Satan. And... Um, <laughs> We fought a lot. My mom, my poor mom, we destroyed her house, her furniture. We, uh, we are always arguing, always fighting. It seems like amongst siblings, there's always a struggle for power. I have two daughters right now, and I have a 12-year-old and a 5-year-old, and my 5-year-old doesn't know she's 5. I feel like my 5-year-old is almost like a chihuahua that sees Rottweilers going by and somehow thinks that it can hang. Like my 12-year-old looks like she's 24. She's like 6'3". And my 5-year-old, she's big for her age too, but she's 5. And everything, it doesn't matter what... No, you know, parents, you notice you don't have to teach your kids to be power hungry? Have you noticed this phenomenon? That you don't have to teach your kids to be selfish? You don't have to teach your kids to, to, to demand where they're going to sit? I, I want to sit by the window on the airplane. Well, so do I. And they start fighting, man. My daughter's always everything, anything, just looking for reasons to go to battle. They're always striving. It's like, man, it's funny. We never, we never, we never call power for the middle seat. I got the hump. Come on. We don't, we don't fight for the middle seat. We're, we're jockeying for good positions. And my two little girls, doesn't matter what it is, I want to walk, I want the remote control. That's my drink. That's my food. It's like, it's, that's my, my five-year-old. That's mine. <laughs> it's like the seagulls from Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. Kenzie gets so mad sometimes. She's like, Dad. I'm like, I hear Chloe crying. And Kenzie's like, Dad. I was like, stop making her cry. And she's like, well, she's got my toys. I'm like, she's got my stuff too. Just give it to her. <laughs> I don't care. Let's make it stop. Let's want peace. There's such a power struggle. And, you know, I, I walk down to the mailbox in my neighborhood, and I'm getting to that point now that I'm starting to entrust my 12-year-old with power. So I'll, I'll look at Chloe, and I'm like, Chloe, I know you're a Rottweiler stuck in a Chihuahua's Bobby. But I'm like, listen, your daughter, or your, your sister's in charge. Daddy's walking to the, the mailbox. She's in charge while I'm gone. Now, our hope as parents, I hope we can all agree on this, is that when you put one of your kids in charge, your hope is, is that you, they would govern like you govern. Yeah. Doesn't always happen. 
But the hope would be is that, hey, Kenzie, I need you for a few minutes to not act like a 12-year-old girl, which is unstable. I need you to think like daddy. I need you to love your sister like daddy. Take care of your sister like daddy. I'm entrusting you with power to take care of your sister. And the issue is, is I believe this is a picture of what God did by setting the Holy Spirit. Is he's actually given us power as his kids to actually steward life in this world with the authority of heaven. He wants, the, the father gives his kids authority and power, not so that we can hurt people, so we can push them down, so we can be mean-spirited. Some of the meanest people in the world are those that know the scriptures but do not have the spirit. Friends, you can know the scriptures without the spirit of God. You get mean. Yeah. I'm telling you that knowing the spirit is just, come on, it's, it's right there with, man, I know the Bible, but I know the spirit of the Bible. Yes. Paul said you could have all revelation, all knowledge, all wisdom. You could have faith that moves mountains. You could prophesy people's phone numbers and social security numbers. He says if you ain't got love, you ain't nothing. Yeah. And we live in an era with very gifted people, but we got some mean people yeah. in the church. Say with me, power. I believe that that God's desire is to actually entrust power to his kids so they can steward the earth the way that God wants the earth to be stewarded. You know why God sent the Holy Spirit? I'll tell you why. It's because he wants the church to have power. You know why he sent the Holy Spirit? He sent the Holy Spirit because he wants the church to be ready for the second coming of Jesus. Now get quiet in here because you're like, this guy is way too young to be preaching about the second coming of Jesus. I thought you had to be like 75 and almost retired. I want you to know that he is coming back one day. The day will come that the sky will split. He's not coming back with a diaper and a harp. He's coming back on a horse with fire in his eyes and hair like wool and a tattoo on his thigh that says the word of God. Come on, somebody. We don't serve a losing God. We serve a winning God. And I promise you, we might be living apathetic lives, but he will return one day. And he gave us the Holy Spirit so he doesn't return for some toothless church. He's coming back for a church that has some power. You can write this in your notes, but he's not coming back for a church that's weaker than the one that he left. He's coming back for a powerful body. Ephesians says a bride without spot and without wrinkle. People say he can come back any day. I don't think he's coming back right now. Why? Because I, I see a bunch of spots. I see a bunch of wrinkles. Somebody needs to grab a holy iron out and start getting them out of the church. I am convinced that God wants us to know that he is a power-working, powerful God. And if you believe it, can I get an amen? Power belongs to God. Many people, they get so frustrated, and I've seen many people lose their faith because they try to live the life of Jesus without the spirit of Jesus. I'll be very honest with you that you can talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and most people track with you. Because the truth is, that's a little bit easier for us to understand. I read one scholar that said it this way. He says, receiving the unseen is not easy. Most Christians find the cross of Christ easier to accept than the spirit of Christ. He said, Good Friday makes more sense to most people than Pentecost. Christ, our substitute, Jesus taking our place, the Savior paying for our sins. These are astounding yet embraceable concepts. They fall into the area of transaction and substitution, familiar territory for all of us. But the Holy Spirit, 
those discussions lead us into the realm of the supernatural and the unseen. We grow quickly quiet and cautious, fearing what we cannot explain or see. Why are so many people intimidated by the Holy Spirit? I believe it's because he's misunderstood. I believe that there's more misinformation. I would say hashtag fake news, but it'd be way too soon for that. I believe there is more misinformation about the Holy Spirit than maybe anybody else on the earth. Some people go, Mark, I've been to a church that was Holy Spirit friendly, and that church was weird. I want you to know, there are probably a lot of weird people in that church, but they would be completely weird without the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? Who's ever met a weird Christian that was full of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, raise your hand so we're not suspicious of you. Okay? So here's the truth is that the Holy Spirit is not bad. He's not weird. He's a person, not a force. He's not some Jedi force. The force is strong in this young Padawan. This is not, not who he is. He, is. he is a person. He was there at creation. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He hovered over the waters. He was at the beginning of creation, and he was at the beginning of the church. Jesus came quietly in the middle of the night, and the Holy Spirit came loudly in the middle of the prayer meeting. The Holy Spirit is the part of God that gave Jesus power. I tell people that if you want to play the piano like Beethoven, you got to have the spirit of Beethoven. That if you want to paint like Michelangelo, you got to have the spirit of Michelangelo. If you want to create phones like Steve Jobs, you got to have the spirit of Steve Jobs. And if you want to live like Jesus, come on, somebody, you got to have the spirit. That's all right. If I can't get a Pentecostal hand clap, I'll take a Baptist head nod in here. You give me a Presbyterian eyebrow raise or a Latter-day Saint deep breath. Oh, now it's one of those faith churches. What's our alternative? Oh, good. We're like in one of those safe, doubt-preaching churches. They're not preaching anything to believe for in here. We call ourselves believers, but we ain't believing for nothing. Listen, we're believers. What do you believe in? I believe in a God that fills us today. Do you know that Christianity is different than any other world religion, that we believe that our God fills our bodies? You know, in the antiquity world, the world of antiquity, the most holy place on the globe was the temple. And Paul comes on the scene and has the audacity to categorize human, frail, failed bodies as the most holy place on the earth. Vessels for the living God. Temples of the living God. He says, you were bought at a price. You are no longer your own. You are vessels and temples of the Holy Spirit. Pretty audacious statement. Pretty audacious comment. People say, Mark, well, isn't the world going to hell? Isn't America going to keep getting worse and worse? I had a family member this week go, Mark, he's like, well, I, I, you know, I don't know what everyone's freaked out about. I think the church, aren't, he's like, I'm not a scholar, but don't Christians know that things are going to get worse before he comes back? And I said, yeah, we do know that the Bible says there'll be wars and rumors of war and persecution and tribulation before the return. But we also simultaneously believe that God hears the prayers of his people. We believe in a God that extended years to Hezekiah's life because in a moment of judgment, he turned to the wall and he cried out to God. We believe that throughout history, when we've been deserving of wrath, that God has been a God to give us mercy. He said he was going to destroy Nineveh, but because the people turned to him, there was mercy. The truth is we don't deserve a righteous president. The truth is we don't deserve righteous governors and righteous leaders and righteous judges. Why? Because the church has lost its passion. And throughout history, our kings are representative of the, of the state of the church. 
So you want righteous leaders, church? We got to start being a righteous church. When the church gets on fire, righteous leaders begin to rise. Come on, I'm I'm just telling you the truth today. It's okay. This guy's kind of mean. I would rather be smacked with truth than kissed with lies. And I'll tell you the truth. Throughout history, you show me a nation that's revived, and I'll show you kings that were revived. People represented the condition of the kings. And the problem today in the church is we're all crying for righteous leaders, but we're living wicked lives. Let God clean the church out and watch God raise up the righteous. If you're going to clap, give him a good. I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place today. I feel a little bit of boldness in here today. Well, it's too late. It's too late. We don't have enough people and power and positions and influence. I want to remind you that Palestine only had about 120 Christians when the resurrection occurred. And there was 4 million people in Palestine when there was 120 believers. Let me put that in context. That would mean that there was one Christian for every 30,000 people. Somehow, Acts documents 32-year period from the corner of Palestine being a nobody movement to turning the world upside down, standing before Caesar in Rome in 32 short years. How could a band of misfit, uneducated fishermen, tax collectors, and former thieves be the very, very leaders of the greatest movement to shake the earth? There has never been anything in history as glorious as the church. So I would remind you today that God does not need everyone in America to be righteous to turn this country around. He just needs about 120 of us that are serious. Yeah, half the room believes it, but I'm I'm telling you the truth. You're here today because 120 people were all in. I believe that, yes, our nation deserves wrath. Yes, we have sinned. We have done some wicked atrocities against heaven and the throne of heaven. But the Bible says that we have an advocate in heaven named Jesus who sits at the right hand of the throne of God. And we have an advocate on earth called the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, who teaches us, who reminds us of the words of Jesus to lead us into truth and glory. We have, listen, yes, we have legal issues against us, but we have attorneys at our side. Jesus in heaven, the Holy Spirit in the earth. And I believe that we serve a God that in wrath remembers mercy. John was so irritated at God because God had mercy on Nineveh and he was complaining because he was hoping his enemies would burn. I feel like there's Christians, amen, I'm hoping that my enemies will burn. God reminded this guy Jonah, he said, hey, why are you getting mad? I have the right to love my creation. Jonah goes, I knew you were going to forgive him. Because you're such a compassionate, stinking God. You're nice to everybody. Even the bad people that deserve a sovereign spanking. God says, why are you upset? And the issue of Jonah was that he was mad at because of how merciful and how kind God was. I want to remind you that, yeah, America does deserve bad things to happen to it. But I also want to remind the church that we serve a God that is rich in mercy. Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. And there is this great power struggle that we see here with 71 of the most elite, wealthy, educated, intellectual minds of the day versus the most common fisherman, sailor, Galilean by the name of Peter with no formal training, no seminary degree, 
This guy doesn't have this formal education. He's not from the University of Jerusalem. He's from the Sea of Galilee. And he stands in front of the Supreme Court, which the Sanhedrin, it was in that day. And he looks at these 71 men. And this is, this is the same Supreme Court that sent Jesus to the, to the cross. And he knows that his life is on the line. He knows that his words are going to be held against him. And he somehow finds the power in that moment not to be scared. It's interesting that the, the Supreme Court then is the same, it's the same antics of the enemy today. You know what the world does to the church? It does two things. It accuses us of contempt, which is ignorance. You're just a bunch of simple Christians. Oh, really? That's cute. You believe in Jesus? Is that your little crutch? And I'm like, yeah, he's going to break your legs. <laughs> you see how good these crutches are. And some people go, it's just, it's just for simple people. You got to be stupid. You're not smart if you believe in Jesus. And it's the same tactics because they said they're uneducated idiots. So they said. And the second thing, if they can't talk you out of Christianity because they think it's simple, the second thing that the world will do is they'll threaten you. Say, like, oh, yeah, yeah, bow a knee for anything, but for Jesus? Isn't it funny that the same people that were accusing Tim Tebow of, of treason, I, I don't want to get into this, but why can we bow for anything except Jesus? Have you thought about this? We can bow for anything except Jesus. I worship wells. You're a good man. I collect vacuums. What a, what a stellar individual. We can celebrate anything we want to celebrate in the earth. I live my life to save trees, which is great. We want to preserve the forest. But the moment you say, I live for Jesus, everyone's like, oh, that's crazy. Making me quiet. Cancel culture. You can't cancel the gospel. They've been trying. Nero tried to change the gospel. I could go throughout history of kings and dictators that try to burn Bibles and kick Jesus out of governments. And every time, it might go underground like in China right now. You, you, you diminish the Christian gospel in China, and what happens? It goes underground with signs and wonders that start to flow out of the, out of the surface of the ground. We serve, I don't know what I'm talking to you today, but I want to remind you, America, that we serve a, a, a wonder-working, sovereign, powerful God. And if you're scared of the threats of, of courts and judges and governments and world leaders, I want to remind you that you're not home yet. Yeah. Our home is in heaven. Yeah. And I think some Christians are going to get to the end of their life and realize I cared way too much about temporary leaders than I dreamt about the eternal king of kings. Yeah, I appreciate the golf hand clap. Come on, if you're going to give God a clap, give him a good hand clap today. I feel glory in this room. This guy's kind of fired up today. I want to remind you that our church leaders didn't just preach patty cake messages. He just loves everybody. And yeah, keep wearing your little sin diapers and keep going to the bathroom on yourself, living dirty, filthy, powerless lives. I don't read that gospel. I read about these guys that get up willing to be boiled in oil, crucified upside down, and thrown to lions without denying that they serve the God that's above all gods. There is a fearless boldness in the early disciples that I don't see in the earth today. This is maybe the most courageous moment of Peter's life. He's standing in front of those that can sentence him, and instead of being a victim to the judges, he judges the judges. And I want you to know that's the power of who Jesus is. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes into you, Jesus comes out of you. And I believe many people are lacking the presence of Jesus because they haven't welcomed the presence of the Holy Spirit.
know what the Holy Spirit wants to do? He wants to create Jesus on the inside of you. He wants to give you the appetites of God. And I'll tell you right now, it's very hard to live like God without God. I'm trying to live so godly right now, but it's tough. It's hard to live godly without God. Have you tried it before? You're not doing that anymore, Mark. You're going to be better. And you're like, oh, I don't want to do that, but I'm doing it. And I hate doing it. I'm tired of doing it. I'm going to stop doing it. But I can't. Because I need God to be godly. You see, many people don't realize that power comes from God. Power to overcome. I want to remind you, church, today in a, in a divided world that we need the power of the Holy Spirit because, number one, it is the Holy Spirit alone that gives us the power to persevere. Can I land this plane today? Landing gear's coming down. You ready to go? Number one, I want you to know that the Christian gospel is about Jesus sending the advocate, the helper, the promise, which he says is to the son and to your children's children. It wasn't just to the early church leaders. The Holy Spirit is the promise to all of the descendants. Until Jesus returns, the Holy Spirit is for everybody. It's for like those really hyper spooky spiritual people. No, the Holy Spirit is God's down payment on eternity in heaven to any one of God's kids that want it. And I want, to, I want you to know today, there's some things that you will not persevere in in life without the power of Jesus' spirit. You know, it says in James chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast in the face of adversity. It says that he'll actually receive a crown from him. Do you know where we get crowns from? God is our rewarder. People think that we're going to some, like, some, I don't know, uh, lactose heaven that there's going to be no rewards and everyone's going to be the same. It's going to be like some communist country that everyone's on the same pay level. The Bible says that there's crowns and there's, there's different stones in our crowns. You could say it like this. Theologians say that how, what you believe determines where you spend eternity. But how you live determines how you spend eternity. Can I say it again for the back? What you believe determines where you spend eternity. Right? We don't earn salvation. But the Bible also says that according to our stewardship, we're rewarded. It says that God said, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to talk about this next week, about not just God's power, but his presence. And then in the following week, I'm going to talk about God's pleasure. When we live to please God, you know what happens? Is that it creates this eternal legacy. And I believe it will be treasure on the other side of eternity. Even as C.S. Lewis said it best, he says, if you aim for earth, you miss out on heaven. But if you aim your life on heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. So, so pleasure. Do you know that how you live your life will determine the rewards you get in heaven? It's everyone's going to get the same mansion. No, they're not. They're going to be different. It says to one guy, he said, I'm going to give you ten cities. You're going to rule. People think we're going to get clouds and harps. That's hell. Okay? Diapers. Do you know that it says that there are going to be new heavens and new earth? That we're going to have work in heaven, but it's going to be rewarding. That we're going to rule with him forever. Of his kingdom, there's no end. How can you talk so fearlessly today? Because I'm focused on where we're going, not where we are. Listen, I want everyone to remind, I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how much you have, you don't have. I want everyone in the room to simultaneously think about this. We will live forever. And here's the, here's, I don't care how smart you are. No one in this room can wrap their minds around forever. None of us. Ecclesiastes says that God has put eternity in our hearts. 
it's not in our minds because our minds, none of us, we, we, we black out when we think about eternity. But somehow in our hearts, we know that we're not going to be dead forever. We will live forever. Some say, well, that's, it says that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Reminds me about an atheist that got mad at his government because they gave holidays like Christmas for Christians and Easter. Christmas, uh, Easter was another Christian holiday. And he came to his judge one day and he said, I'm, I'm suing this, this county for not giving atheists a holiday. And he says, you have a holiday. It's April 1st. It's, come on, Fool's Day, April Fool's. He says, the fool has said in their heart, there is no God. There is a God. And you might deny him right now, but you get, you get a, a, a three-week sentence of life, I promise you, that the reality of heaven becomes real. Do I live forever or do I die forever? I want you to know that you were created for eternity. Heaven is our home. And many people, they worship this life in America more than they worship the life of forever in heaven. We have to, listen to me, before I'm an American, I'm a Christian. Before I'm a Republican, I'm a Christian. Before I'm a Democrat, I'm, are you hearing me today, church? Before I'm a libertarian, before I'm anything else, I am a child of God. And that's how we live unshakable. Sorry, I'm fired up, man. I apologize. I just feel something today. He is a God that gives us the ability to persevere. The Holy Spirit gives you power. You want to get hungry for something? Get hungry for the Spirit of Jesus that gives you the ability to persevere. Galatians 6, 9 says, don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due time you will reap if you do not lose. How do you not lose heart? He gives you the power to persevere. Peter looked him in the eyes and said, I am not going to stop talking about Jesus. Threaten me. Arrest me. Try to shut down our church. I will keep preaching what God put in my heart to preach. Perseverance. And I'll tell you right now, when the Holy Spirit fills you up, the second thing that will happen to you is not only will you persevere, you will start to proclaim. You'll start getting this bad case that i got to tell somebody. It's funny because people in dead religion, they, they don't care keeping their faith a secret their whole lives. But for some reason, people that experience the goodness and the power of God, they can't keep quiet about it. It's almost like when you found a really good cupcake place. And like, this is too good to keep to myself. I'm going to be judged if I don't tell someone about these cupcakes. I'm telling you that when you experience the goodness and the power and the mercy of Jesus, you will tell somebody about it. Well, none of my friends know that I'm a Christian. You're probably not. Can we be honest? Because Christianity is not this private, keep it to yourself. That's what our godless university professors told us. The Bible I read says that our faith is very public. You don't have the right to remain silent. Everything you say can and will affect the, the population of heaven in the days to come. You are on the earth for two reasons. To know God and to share his love with the world that's, that needs him. He already paid for everything, but we got to let somebody know. Well, it's a separation of church and state. That's to keep the government out of the church, not church out of the government. Study your history. Sorry, this guy's mean today. I'm fired up. Tired of getting picked on. Tired of the church being a, a, accused of, of, of not having strength and focus and power. The Bible says that God's church is the head and not the tail. Why are we following culture instead of leading it? I believe the greatest CEOs are coming out of the church. Greatest educators coming out of the church. Greatest songwriters, come on, out of the church. Greatest doctors, lawyers, inventors, out of the church. If you want to believe it today, go on, stand your feet. Come on, give them a hand clap and a shout. The church is the hope of the world. 
Jesus is coming back for his church. He's not coming back for America or for Africa or Asia. He is coming back for his church. Do you believe it? Date my outline. I'm married to the Holy Spirit. Is that all right? There's more points. You can listen to something else in a podcast. Maybe we'll put the rest of the message up. But I feel God in this place. And I want you to know, church, that we will be a oceans. Mark my words. We will be a church that regardless of what happens in America, and whatever happens and policies are made in California, we will serve and we will honor our leaders. We'll pray for whoever wins the election, uh, the elections. We're going to pray for them. I've prayed for Democrats. I've prayed for Republicans. And I will continue. And everyone said, but mark my words, we will never honor men at the expense of dishonoring God. That's where we stand. Because we're going to be proclaimers. Acts 1-8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You know where perseverance comes from? The Holy Spirit. You know where proclaiming comes from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. You know where purity comes from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. Did you know that one of the things the Holy Spirit likes to do is make people holy? We got a bunch of Christians that are just as dysfunctional as people that don't know God. Let the Holy Spirit come into your life and clean you up. Well, I've always been angry. I've always been a pervert. I've always been mean. I've always been a jerk. Guess what? The Holy Spirit came to actually, if you let him in, he'll change your appetites. Well, I'm an old dog. I can't learn new tricks. Listen, the Holy Spirit likes old dogs. Changes old dogs. And I want you to know that I don't care if you're young or you're old. The Holy Spirit will purify you if you let him in. He'll prepare you for what's to come. And the Holy Spirit will teach you how to pray. You know what prayer is? Very simple. It's an awareness of God. One scholar said it's the uninterrupted awareness of God. When you're aware of Jesus all the time in the Holy Spirit, when you're in your car by yourself, you realize you're not in your car by yourself. When you're in the presence of the Holy Spirit, you realize I can be talking to my friend Sam or my friend Ben or my friend Steve and simultaneously be having a second conversation. God, I know what I'm saying to them, but what are you saying to me to say to them? Prayer, when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, is the uninterrupted awareness of God. I sense him in this place. I just want you to know my conviction is if he's real and alive, which I know he is, I think we have to preach like he is. Some of you think, man, you're kind of preaching like definitively today. Like there's a right way and a wrong way. That's exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying that Jesus himself, he can only be one of three things. He is the son of God. He is a lunatic or he is the greatest deceiver that ever lived. There is no fourth option. So here's the deal. Is he crazy? Is he a deceiver? Or is he who he says he is? And if he is who he says he is, will we live like he's God? Will we worship him like he's God? Will we let him make us hungry for the things of God more than the things of this earth? have a hard time believing if we really believe in eternity that we'd be so I mean truth is most of us plan more for retirement than we do for eternity I want to come on I want to live heaven forward anybody else and I want you to know whether you're old or you're young today the good news is is today is a brand new opportunity to let God fully into your mind into your heart into your life can I ask you today a question friend let me do two things if you're here and you do not 
you do not you know today I felt courage last service and I feel it again right now if you've been kind of living one foot in and one foot out yeah I kind of believe in God yeah I believe in Jesus but you live like he doesn't really exist and you today go Mark I'm tired of living one foot in one foot out one foot over the fence one foot off the fence you want to go all in today I just want you to know that God is coming back for his church that's on fire not for the lukewarm church not for the first church of the apathetic we're gonna be a church that burns with fire passion and we're gonna do that because we're gonna invite the Holy Spirit if you're here today I'm gonna to try to see your hands but if you know that you're not living with Jesus and for Jesus and today you go mark if God is real because here's the truth some people that don't believe in God you wouldn't believe in God even if he was real and your problem isn't with God, it's with something that happened in your life that you reacted to. You're wounded from the tragedy of mom dying or something that happened that was wrong or abuse. If God is so good, why did evil happen in my life? God is a God that allows things to happen, but he is also a God that redeems the wicked things. He's not your problem today, he's your solution. And I feel like God is awakening some hearts today in this room. I can feel his love. His love will break through the wounds He'll heal the scars, and he'll put the broken pieces of your mind and your heart back together again if you'll let him. We live in a fallen world that's not God. God we live in a fallen world. God is not the author of confusion or pain, but he is the creator of life. So here's what I want to say. If you're not living for Jesus, with him or for him, or you've been living kind of half-hearted with him, and today you go, Mark, if, he's, if he wants all of me, so I heard, I was praying last night, I heard the Holy Spirit say, Mark, I live in the hearts of all believers, but not all believers will give me all of their hearts. I want God to have all of my heart. How do you get more of the Holy Spirit? It's not by asking Him for more of Him, it's by giving Him more of you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.